0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We're in week four of our series, uh, King Jesus Above All, a series about. Our politics and our citizenships and our allegiances, week one we covered this. God's politics starts with this, Jesus is Lord. And then the week after that we talked about being an and people, that God cares both about righteousness in our lives and justice in our society. God cares about our personal holiness and his goodness being displayed to the poor. And then last week Randy Neighbors was here and talked about kings and kingdoms and kind of stepped on all of our toes and challenged us all in a good way. And this week, we are talking about being an over people. And some of you are like, that's good because I'm so over people. And I'm ready for this sermon, Pastor John. Tell me what to do. I'm over people. But unfortunately, that's not what I mean. Um, That's not what I mean by over people. Here's what I mean. I'm going to tell you a story. At our, uh, the church I was a pastor at in St. Louis, we had a lot of people who had come from around the world, and one particular group had come from Burma, which is now called Myanmar, and they gathered together in a small group, kind of like we do in life groups, and to me it just was uh, some Burmese friends that I was getting to know until I started visiting their group and hearing more and more about what they were doing in the group and who they were, and it turns out that they were from the country of Burma, but there were several different tribal groups in that small group. There was people from a group called the Hakka tribe, people from a group called the Zomi tribe, and other tribes. And as I got to know them more and more, I realized that their cultures were very different, even though they came from the same country. Not only that, but they did not speak the, the first same language. The Zomi didn't know Hakka, they knew Zomi. And the Hakka didn't know Zomi, they knew Hakka. But they all knew Burmese as a second language. And they agreed that in that small group, rather than speaking their first language, they would speak the second language that everybody knew. Now, this was even more amazing because Burmese wasn't their natural language. It was the language that they had learned from the government that was oppressing them. But they had agreed to speak in that language, even though some way in some ways it was kind of demeaning, they had agreed to do that in order that they could be together. They were an over people. And here's what I mean by that: they chose unity over their own comfort. They chose togetherness over their own preferences. They they chose King Jesus over their own rights. And today I want to talk to you about us being an over people, a people who choose to represent the kingdom of God on earth over anything else. Now in, in John, Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. That doesn't mean that his kingdom's not in this world, it just means that his kingdom originates somewhere else. His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven and it invades earth, but it is in this world and it infiltrates this world with righteousness, joy, and peace. And let me tell you, the world needs righteousness, joy, and peace because right now our culture does not look very righteous or joyful or peaceful. In fact, our our culture is so split and polarized and divided that you could say right now that we are a culture of canceling. And I'll talk more about that during the sermon. We're also a culture that holds people that disagree with us in contempt. And we're a culture that's constantly in a state of panic. Everyone's panicking. And yet, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, what we are called to is to be a people of love over cancel. We're called to be a people who honor over holding others in contempt. We're called to be a people of peace over the culture of panic. And so this morning, we're going to explore what it means to be an over-people in this tense political moment. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read several scriptures from the New Testament. Lord Jesus, please help us with your word. We can learn it, we can know it, but we need your help doing it and living it. We pray that you would give me the words to say, that you would change and transform us all so that we could better represent you. So that as you have loved us, we could love others. As we learn how to honor others, that that would make a difference in our relationships. And in the midst of this crazy culture of panic, we would learn to trust the Prince of Peace. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, several scriptures. We're going to start off with Luke 6, verse 27, which says, the words of Jesus, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies... Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then skipping down to verse 35 in chapter 6, it says, Jesus continues, But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. That convicted me this morning, by the way. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love Never ends. Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not repay anyone. Say anyone. Anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Say everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Say everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Next scripture, 1 Peter two seventeen, Honor everyone, say everyone. Love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Say the emperor. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 20 years ago, the word tolerance was a big word in our culture. As we saw how different we were, uh, we realized that we had to have tolerance as a virtue. We had to be able to tolerate one another. Now, what's interesting is I haven't heard that word used in like five years as a cultural value. And one of the reasons is it just doesn't, it doesn't sound romantic. If you, before bed tonight, if you look at your spouse and you say, I tolerate you, um, you might get a smack in the face. But the real truth is, no one wants to be tolerated. Everyone wants to be loved. And maybe that's why it didn't work. But we've moved on from tolerance as a culture. And the, what's replaced tolerance is cancel, a cancel culture that we now live in. A cancel culture is basically uh, when someone who is usually famous or important says something shameful or does something that dehumanizes someone else or a group of people, there's a rally online to come against that person and boycott them publicly and shame them with tweets and Facebook posts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's to cancel them. And the whole idea of canceling actually started out as a joke in like 2014. Uh, Someone said something like, I don't like orange on Twitter. And someone joked, you don't like orange, you're canceled. But then it caught on and it was actually like, the, the fundamental way that people deal with each other online now by canceling each other. And it's interesting because there is some benefit to it. I mean, it is a way to speak truth to power. It's a way for the powerless to voice collectively against those who are in power and seek justice. But, but I wonder if it's moved on from that. Aja Ramana, who is a cultural commentator for Vox she has wondered if cancel culture has turned into a mob mentality or is it still a long overdue way of speaking truth to power? Is it a tool of social justice or a new form of merciless mob intimidation? And what Romano says is she's not sure that canceling someone online even works. The reason is we've seen many uh, famous people and celebrities do things that they shouldn't have done And then there's been a rally, let's cancel them, let's shame them publicly. And really, they only stay out of the public spotlight like like 10 months. And then they're just back. So canceling, in a sense, it doesn't really have the effect that people want it to. In that article, Romano interviews Aaron Rose, who's a diversity and inclusion consultant, who was someone who joined in on the canceling for a long time. And then he began to question it, and he wondered if if canceling offers more than simply a short-term release of cathartic anger, and doesn't really change anything. Uh, the sad people are still sad, the mad people are still mad, the bad people are still bad, and everyone's traumatized. Rose began to change his approach when people said things that were dehumanizing to what he called like positive conflict transformation. In other words, we're no longer going to focus on canceling, we're going to focus on change and transformation. You know, I think there might still be a place for speaking truth to power in that way, but one of the concerns I have with the whole canceling of culture thing is it's a dehumanizing response to a dehumanizing action. In other words, someone says something or does something that dehumanizes other people, and the response is, you're no longer a human, we're going to cancel you. And I just wonder, as the people of God, are we called to respond to dehumanizing actions and words with a dehumanizing response? Are we called to something over-canceling? We read Luke 6, 35 through 36, and these are hard words to read from Jesus. He says, love your enemies, do what is good, and lend, expect nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. But what struck me in this passage was that this this isn't just like busy work or be nice. Love your enemies is really rooted in who the character of God is. It's rooted in God's character. For God is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. There's something about God's character where he absolutely hates evil and sin. And yet, he is incredibly kind and gracious to sinners. He doesn't not say that sin is sin. He doesn't ignore evil. And yet, at the same time, he's gracious and kind. Theologians call this common grace. And what it means is, even though all of humanity is in rebellion against God, even though all of humanity has broken God's law, we still have air to breathe. We still have food to eat. We still have friends and family. That's God's common grace that He doesn't just cancel us right away in our sin, but actually is kind and gracious. And it's His kindness and grace that gives us space to turn and change and repent. Why doesn't God just cancel sinful humanity? Because of His love. It's because of His great love. And God's love is scandalous. It is not a human kind of love. It is a natural love. The Bible talks about three different types of love, and the first one is eros. That's where we get the word erotic, and it means like romantic love, and you can fall into eros. The second type is called phileo love, and phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and phileo is more like a family love. It's the bond of blood. I love you because we're from the same family. But God's love is called an agape love. An agape love is like, you're my enemy, I'm going to lean into you and not quit on you and love you sacrificially till it hurts me, even though you were the one who hurt me. And that's the kind of love that God gives us as human beings, and that's the kind of love he puts in our hearts through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and that's the kind of love we're called to display in this moment of cancel look how unnatural it is in luke 6:27 but i say to you agape your enemies do what is good to those who hate you that's completely unnatural bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you Jesus is calling us to unnatural actions and unnatural words and unnatural prayer and unnatural love because it's not a human love. It's a divine love that God loves us with that he then puts in our hearts and we express to our enemies. In fact, Jesus' whole life was filled with agape love. Whether it was the leper that no one wanted to touch or the Pharisee who was so self-righteous that he didn't see his need for God Jesus leaned into both with sacrificial, agape, self-giving love. In fact, we see his spirit of agape love on the cross. When he's put on the cross, though he's innocent, he looks down and says, Father, forgive them for for they know not what they do. I think the challenge for us as followers of Jesus Christ is somehow we think that showing agape love Doesn't apply to whatever situation we're in. Agape love is for someone else to show, not me. But yet, we're called to love, not just those we like, not just those in our home, not just those we're in love with, but our enemies. This is what God puts forward for us. The interesting thing is that we are scared to show love on this level because we don't think it does anything. We don't think it has an effect. We don't think love wins. But the Apostle Paul writes in Romans twelve seventeen, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. In other words, agape love cancels evil. Agape love is what has power to bring transformation and change. And for people who are simply willing to love sacrificially in this hypocritical cancel age, it displays something of the kingdom of God. After World War II in East Germany, a man named Erich Honecker was put in power of Germany. He was the leader of the German Socialist Unity Party. He, he controlled East Germany, he was the guy. In 1961, he was responsible for organizing the Berlin Wall that separated East Berliners from freedom in West Berlin. He was also responsible for the order to fire. The order to fire was if anyone tries to escape East Berlin through the wall, you have permission to shoot and kill them so that they cannot go free. It's simply said, Honecker was the most hated man in East Germany. But when the wall fell and the East German government crumbled, Honecker and his wife Margot were stripped of their offices and stripped of their home. They lost all their power and they had nowhere to go as the most hated people in East Germany at the time. In fact, they were so hated they were even rejected by the Communist Party but there was a Christian family named the Homers. And I won't say his name right, so I'm just gonna say Uwe Homer was the dad. He was a pastor, he had 10 kids, and he oversaw a Christian help center, which I believe was like a, a homeless shelter outside of Berlin. Now it was interesting because Margot Honecker, Eric's wife, was also in power in East Germany. She was the national minister of education for 24 years. And she oversaw who could get an education from the state and who couldn't. And she excluded Christian children from getting an education. In fact, eight out of 10 of Pastor Holmer's children were not allowed to get an education because they were a Christian family. They had been canceled. Yet in this moment, when the Honeckers, the most hated people in Germany, had no home, the Holmers invited them to live in their home. They invited them to live in their home. What a wonderful display of care and love and agape for your enemies. Homer took some heat for this because wherever the Honeckers go, there were protests. No one liked them. And so having them in their home brought not just new people, but protests against them housing these enemies. But Homer reported that at family dinners, the Honeckers both began to bow their heads and fold their hands when prayers would be said. Do you you see a little bit of love over cancel? Do you sense the kingdom of God at work? We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's Word. One of the challenges for us with this, one of the reasons why we don't want to do this is because we believe someone else's value has to do how much they agree with us. How much are they on my side? And then we place value on that person. And so if they don't agree with with us, we think they're not worthy of love. We don't have to sacrifice. In fact, we end up with our enemies not loving them but feeling great contempt for them. Contempt is simply this, it's a feeling that a person has less worth, deserves not respect but disrespect, and is not worthy of love. And right now our culture is full of contempt. Everyone judges someone else's value as a human being based on how close they are to their opinions and political party and position. One of the ways that we see the, the, devalu- the devaluing of human beings in our culture is called ad hominem arguments. And ad hominem arguments are the normal way that we debate politics in our culture. And ad hominem simply means this, it's Latin that means against the person. In other words, when you're debating politics or your opinions, you don't actually deal with the other person's idea. You say this, you're wrong because you're a Republican. You're wrong because you're a Democrat. You dishonor and lower the value of the person based on who they are rather than their ideas. In our country, and the talking heads on TV are full of attacks against people's character, instead of debating their ideas. Our country is a country of contempt right now, and in some ways, social media is a setup for this. It really is a a setup for this, because we're dealing with people's posts rather than the person. I mean, Twitter doubled the number of characters that you can have from 140 to 280, but the average Twitter post is still 33 characters. 33 characters is high period my name is John period, what's yours question mark? Without any spaces in between. That's it. And we're debating online about deep, significant things and we're just dealing with these posts that are so tiny and hard to get what a person's life experience is. And and Facebook's not much more than that. I mean, the average Facebook post is just 40 characters or less. That, that's high period space, my name is John period space, what's yours question mark? It's just adding the spaces in. My, my point is this, the way that we're doing all these things as a country sets us up to devalue each other as human beings because we're arguing with posts rather than dealing with real life people. Now social media is not bad, but, but it's worthy of Critique. Because we found in our culture that we are living a culture of devaluing contempt and dishonor rather than honor. Look at these scriptures about honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Now, honor is a financial term, and it means to fix the value of something. To fix the value of something in your mind as valuable. And we sort of understand this idea of honor. I mean, if a celebrity were to walk in the room right now, everyone would go, Ooh, and you wouldn't listen to anything I said anymore because you would want to honor the celebrity. And we understand a little bit about dishonor because if you text someone, and they don't respond for four days, you're like, wow, they don't value me. They have fixed the value of me lower. They have dishonored me. But the way that we assign honor to people in our culture is strange. It really is. We assign honor, we assign value based on if someone is famous or not. We assign value and honor based on if they agree with me or they agree with you. But that's not how the Bible tells us to honor. Because the Bible tells us to honor not just some people, not just famous people, but honor everyone. Because every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person is made in the image of God. In fact, this is strange to think about, but God actually honors us as human beings who are made in his image. In Psalm 8, the psalmist writes, what is a human being that you remember him? I mean, in other words, like, God, you're so worthy. Why would you even care about human beings? But then it says, you crown people with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And then he goes on to talk about creation. And what he's saying is, man, the palm trees are beautiful but they are not made in the image of God like people are. Man, dolphins are amazing and they're smart, but they don't reflect the image of God like you do. You were made in the image of God. And it's amazing that God honors the image that he's put in us of himself. I mean, God could just be like, y'all people, you're foolish. Sit down, shut up, and listen to everything I say. And he would be right to do so because he's God and we're not. But he doesn't. He invites us into a story. He lets us ask him questions. I love Isaiah 1 where these sinful, rebellious, unjust people are oppressing other people and not listening to what God says. And in Isaiah 1, God says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. I mean, do you sense the way that God could just say, shut up, people, and listen? But he doesn't. He actually engages with us as real human beings. That is to say, God rarely uses an ad hominem argument. There are occasions where God will say, I'm God, you're not, you need to listen. But he actually takes our ideas and and our stories and our questions seriously. And maybe there's something that we can learn from that as we disagree with each other. I mean, you know Christians aren't supposed to agree on everything, right? You know that? Okay, so when we disagree with each other and we disagree with people outside of the church, what does it mean to honor them as we disagree? What does it mean to disagree with them in a way that raises their value? That raises their value. And if we want to represent the kingdom of God, we must choose honor over contempt. And maybe that looks like this. You are created in the image of God. I disagree with you. And what you're saying is below someone who's created in God's image. Maybe it starts there. Because we are called to honor everyone. Honor everyone, Peter writes. Honor the emperor. And that means for us that we have to show honor. To the people that are in authority in the government over us, even if we don't like them, even if we think that they are dangerous, we are called to show honor. And the thing is that these people who would have read this when Peter first wrote it, they would have had a much stronger reaction than you are having even right now to the phrase honor the emperor. And the reason is is because we're not sure who the emperor was at that point, but it was either Domitian or Nero. Emperor Domitian or Emperor Nero. And if it was Domitian, Domitian was a guy who said, because I'm emperor, I'm God, and anyone that says there's another God is going to be persecuted. So guess what? Domitian persecuted Christians. Nero, Nero's a whole different ballgame if he was the one in power. Nero set fire to Rome, his own city that he ruled over. And then he blamed it on the Christians. And he took some of the Christians and he set them on fire. And he took some of the ones that he didn't set on fire and he fed them to live animals. Honor Nero? Yes. And you can honor him, not by agreeing with him, not by saying everything's okay, not by turning a blind eye to injustice, but by still acknowledging that they are created in the image of God. And what they're doing is even sadder when we see someone created in the image of God acting so inhumanely to other human beings. It's challenging still, isn't it? The world is a messed up place. And we know whose fault it is, right? It's someone else's fault. I mean, that's the conversations we're having right now about all sorts of issues in our country. And so it's hard to think about honoring people when we see them messing up the world, when we see them acting in brokenness. But that mindset has created a culture of panic. We are in a constant state of panic. I get an email every week from a politician. I'm not sure how they got my email address, but they send me an email every week, and every week it's like complete panic. And I'm like, I don't. I look out the window, I'm like, are we still, is everything still out there? Like, yeah, okay, okay, I, I get it, it's intense, but, but um, here's the thing. Like canceling, panic is sort of an inhumane, dehumanizing response to dehumanizing things. Charles Drew, who's a theologian, has this great quote where he says, panic dehumanizes us in our dealings with each other. For me to understand my neighbor's motives and reasoning, take time. The very thing, panic cannot stand. I'm going to read that again. For me to understand my neighbor's motives and reasoning, take time. The very thing, panic cannot stand. Panic also displeases God. Fear is a matter of the heart, and our king cares deeply and especially about our hearts, since it is from them that everything else issues. As people of Jesus' kingdom, we are called to be a people of peace over a people of panic. Look at these scriptures. If possible, if possible, as far as it depends on, not the other person, but you, live at peace with who? Everyone. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can live as people of peace in this panicky culture is that we have to be made by the peace of Jesus Christ. In other words, through the good news of Jesus, we who were enemies of God have been reconciled to God, and we are no longer in a state of being separated from him and his enemies, but we have peace with God because Jesus went to the cross in our place. And now our Lord, the one who loves us most, is the Prince of Peace. And we live in a kingdom of peace. So what does it look like to live at peace with all people? Maybe it's simply this. Maybe it's keeping your joy in the Lord and the Prince of Peace when the world is crumbling around you. Maybe it's praying for broken people in a broken world. Not the people you like, but the people you don't like. Maybe it's praying before posting. Not after you posted and made a mess. Maybe it's praying before you post. Or maybe it's simply hearing someone out online and assuming the best. I don't interact much more on social media. Uh, I like putting pictures of, like, pretty things. There's a the sunset. I don't even put a comment there. I'm just like, it's pretty. Um, but I decided to the other day because someone wrote something on a theological conversation, and this guy put a post up, and then everyone jumped on him, and, and like, that's wrong. And I was like, I actually think the guy's right. So I jumped in, and I said, I think he's right because this, 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 and this. And I just listed scripture. And within 10 minutes, someone jumped on my post and was like, that's false. And I was like, I just put scripture. I don't really know. I don't know what happened. And there was something in me that was like, um, I'll, I'll fight. You want, to, you, know, you, want to, you want to get into it? I'll, I'll fight. But I was like, no, i got to preach on this on Sunday, so I can't do it. <laughs> and the Lord convicted my heart and so I just asked a question I said you said I, whatever it was false can you tell me what is false maybe she's right maybe I have something to learn and she wrote back hey I just read your post again I misread it I'm really sorry and I was like wow I was about to spend two hours being angry and she just didn't take the time to read my post but maybe that's what peacemaking looks like. And I actually wrote right back. I said, thank you for that. I don't think I've ever heard someone on the Internet say that they're wrong. You're the first one. And it was this awesome moment where I got to understand someone because rather than panic, we pursued peace. Panic is rooted in fear. It's rooted in this sense of feeling powerlessness and losing a sense Of control. But let me tell you, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in your neighborhood, no matter what happens in your own life, you haven't lost control, you haven't lost power because Jesus is your king and he is one. And Jesus, through his, what seemed like the ultimate loss of power, his death on the cross, was actually a victory for you and me. And that is how you live at peace when you lose power, or you even lose your life. You can be at peace in death if the Prince of Peace is your king. There's a pastor in Nigeria named Lawan Andimi, and he was a pastor of a brethren church in a village. Just in the last three weeks, their village was raided by Boko Haram, a terrorist organization, and some people were captured And Ndimi was taken into custody by Boko Haram. And he was made to do this video. You know the video that people captured by terrorists, terrorists make them do. This is actually a video, or this is a screenshot of that video. And I don't know what they wanted him to say. But I would encourage you to go and actually watch the video online. Because here's a man who his life is being threatened And yet, the way he communicates is simply being at peace. This is what the words say on the screen behind me. These, well, first of all, he says, if you can help me get free, please help me get free. But then he says, these people, in other words, Boko Haram, these people have been doing good to me. They have been feeding me, they provide a nice place for me to sleep. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues. But if the opportunity has not been granted, in other words, if I never see my wife and kids again, maybe, maybe it's the will of God. Maybe it's the will of God. And then out of concern for those watching the video, he says this, be patient. Don't cry. Don't worry. But thank God for everything. Several days later, Andimi was taken out into the forest and killed. Just in the last couple weeks. It had a profound effect on the Nigerian church community that this man, in the midst of a situation where most of us panic, was so at peace. Gideon Paramalam, who's the African ambassador for International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, said this, this is completely different from most hostage videos. And Dini appeared as one who had already conquered death saying to his abductors and the rest of us that he is ready to die for his faith in Christ. Peace in his soul, because he knows the prince of peace. We are called to be representatives of the kingdom of God. Love over cancel. Honor over contempt. Peace over panic. No matter how powerless we feel, no matter how much power uh, we actually lose, no matter how out of control things seem, we can find peace because God is God. And Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. Right now, he sits at the right hand of God. He reigns and rules over all things. And as the world falls apart, we are bringing his love and his peace to a world that has gone crazy. But one day, he will return. And no matter how broken things are, he will make it all right. And he will make everything new. So brothers and sisters, be an over people. Don't miss those opportunities to love your enemy. Don't miss the opportunities to show honor where it's so easy to stay in contempt. And don't miss the opportunity that you have in this life to live with confidence in the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Prince of Peace, we worship you. We thank you that you've never asked us to do anything that you yourself have not done on our behalf. And so we just pray now for your spirit to be in us. Your spirit produces the fruit of love and peace. And we want to be people that honor those around us. Thank goodness that we don't have to turn a blind eye to evil and evildoers. But in that, help us to love. Help us to love boldly like you did on the cross, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.